So here we are, harvest, like Christmas, isn't it? It comes around once a year. Um, and I thought it'd be a good passage to have a look at when I was thinking about harvest um, today, um, you know, after June, weeks before. Um, I felt this passage of Paul's about sowing and reaping was quite appropriate. He, he's using a very well-known image for his listeners at the time. He, and he's using it to describe something that is fundamentally important in every Christian life. So he takes that image of the sowing and reaping. And I think he asks us to consider ourselves as farmers for whom a central part of what we do is sowing and reaping. Now, I'm not sure there's any farmers here this morning. I'm not aware of any. You can correct me later if there is somebody here. And there's pretty true to say that probably not all of us are particularly keen gardeners, although I know some might be. But Paul seems to consider all Christians, every one of us, as people who at least metaphorically need to be working in the fields of the world, sowing and reaping. For the Christian, that sowing is the sowing of Christian grace into the lives of others, both believers and actually non-believers too. Taking, the, as it were, the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit we've been given in Christ and to sow that good seed into other souls also. And we do this through our daily choices and actions. We do this so that ultimately a harvest of human souls might be reaped for God's glory. But also I think it's worth mentioning to start with, but although we all sow seeds into other people's lives, as people who follow Christ, it is Christ-like seeds that we need to be sowing. We can sow bad things into people's lives as well, as good, but we need to be attentive to the types of seeds we're sowing. For in that final harvest, Paul warns his readers that they will reap what they've sown, whether it be good and bad. Now, I had a little slide I found on the internet which looked a little bit like this, which I thought was quite useful when reflecting about harvest and my Christian walk at harvest. And what do I sow? And what might I be expecting to reap? You know, what do we sow into the lives of others? It's very easy, uh, I think, in this little simple little graphic. Uh, do, are we sowing forgiveness? Or do we tend to sow judgment? Yeah? Do we sow love? Or are we sowing, sowing you know, guilt, greed and fear and negative emotions like that? And you can see the, the analogy that it tries to provide. And it's really trying to remind us that you know, what we sow into other people's lives, you know, that, there's going to be a harvest someday. And obviously, we take the problem if we sow very negative and, and unchrist like things, then we're not really doing what we should be doing as Christ followers. Now, in this morning's reading, Paul also uses the analogy of sowing and reaping in order to focus the Corinthians on one specific way that they can sow into the lives of others. And he's focusing particularly in the text on financial generosity, of giving a way of possessions to those who don't necessarily have them. Sharing the good things that God has blessed them with, not withholding 
their worldly possessions, holding on to them tightly, but instead recognizing the open-handed way that God has dealt with them, and so to emulate their Heavenly Father in that, sowing freely into the lives of others in an equally open-handed and generous fashion. Paul's text we're going to look at in a minute focuses on financial generosity, but the point I want to make at the beginning is that I think there's many principles that are applicable there that are applicable to our whole life of Christian life and witness. We are, can be generous in many ways. You know, we don't, some people don't have much money to give. All right? We might give with our time, we might give with our gifts, we might give with our finances. There's many ways that we can be generous apart from being generous just with our money. Although I think for a Christian, our generosity should be expressed, frankly, across the whole spectrum. Paul focuses on money, and it was particularly regarding the attractive power of worldly riches, but Jesus, if you remember, gave a very uncompromising warning to his disciples in Luke 16. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. So I'm going to look particularly at the text now, which, we, which uh, Peter kindly read to us. Remember this, he starts out, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Paul starts with words, remember this. So he's basically saying, don't forget it, it's important. Remember it. Don't forget it. If we sow little into other lives, we will only reap little. Even if a seed is good, it can only produce so much of a crop. Any farmer knows that. A little seed can only ever produce a little crop. But greater generosity opens up the possibility of producing a much greater return. We might consider ourselves generous people. But sometimes we can be generous in very measured ways. When we find ourselves counting out our pennies, as it were, we need to remember that God in Christ has showered us with his grace and salvation, completely open-handed, with astonishing generosity. God did not look at us, first of all, and wonder if we were worth it. He didn't look at us and try to work out how much we might be worth. Instead, he showered us with grace, not counting the personal cost. This is how God has approached us in Christ. Not meanly, not calculating, not wondering what he's going to get from the deal. Right? But in open generosity. Romans 5, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And in 1 Timothy... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly, Paul says, along with faith and hope, and sorry, faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. So the first point is, really, whose children are we? Who's, who are we following? And therefore, who are we to imitate? Paul is saying, God has not sowed sparingly, so why should we? If God is seeking an abundant harvest, then surely those who seek to follow him in Christ should seek to do likewise. God is an example, God's example of abundant grace and abundant generosity 
is someone, something we are called to remember by Paul, to take note of, to not forget, and to emulate. So Paul starts his, his, this text with this, what might seem like a highly unreasonable request. But then he pushes the band even further, because in the next verse he says, you know what, I want you to be very cheerful about it. Verse 7. Each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he starts off, as I said, really, you know, look at God, look at God in Christ. You know, Recognise what you've been given. And then he turns the screw in a little bit, a bit further, as it were, and says, yes, but I only want what you want to give me. A Christian offering, in my understanding, should never be demanded. It should never be manipulated or forced out of people through negative guilt or fear or whatever. But it should come out of each one of us freely as the Spirit lays the needs of others on our hearts and minds. Just as God in Christ invites us to come freely to worship him, so it is in our giving in all of its forms, not just money, in all of its forms, but we need to see in a similar light. It is an act of worship. Our giving is an act of worship. A simple act of thanksgiving. We're not trying to repay God for all he has done for us in Christ. That is just impossible. It's totally beyond us. We can never do that. But as we are able, and as we are willing, we are called to freely give him our thanks and praise. And we do that. One of the ways we do that is to give away what we have into the lives of others so that they might be blessed too. God loves a cheerful giver, the scripture says. Now, I know he loves the mean ones as well. So let's be clear on that. But what Paul is saying is that a gift freely given with no compulsion and no obligation, no ties, is a joy to his heart. It brings joy to God's heart, just as the smallest and simplest gift of a child can bring such pleasure to the parent's heart too. So Paul encourages the Corinthians in the grace of generosity. But he doesn't stipulate what they finally choose to do or give. It isn't the amount that God looks at. It is the attitude of our hearts in the act of giving. We see that in Mark 12, uh, the parable of the, of the widow who comes and you've got the, uh, the, the priest giving, you know, visibly giving lots of money. You've got the widow who comes in, puts in very two little, little small copper coins we're told worth only a fraction of a penny it's almost nothing and he, but he calls his disciples to him Jesus does and he says I tell you the truth this widow, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, all the others not just the Pharisee, all the others they all gave out of their wealth but she out of her poverty the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to be a people who both sow generously but who also sow willingly, making an offering to our Lord out of a gratitude of our hearts as part of our worship, hearts that we recognise have already been so blessed by his abundant grace. Colossians 2 verse 6, So then, just as you received from Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's not just talking about words. 
That's talking about what we do. The overflowing of thankfulness is not just saying thank you, God, in my prayers, although that's important, but it's actually how we express, how we live our lives and express our gratitude. So might we be generous givers, giving freely, not counting out the pennies. For such giving is an authentic act of worship. It's simply an act of faith. It's an act of thanksgiving for the innumerable blessings we have already received and continue to receive day by day through Jesus Christ. And I think such an attitude towards giving and generosity draws us into what I'm calling a, a cycle of grace. A cycle initiated by God's saving action for us. God starts the ball rolling, as it were. But one that is intended to flow through us on into the wider world, returning eventually back to him for his glory. I think Paul talks about this in these next couple of verses. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. With our worldly possessions, we tend to think of giving as almost an act with an end, as it were. The end being that once we've given an item away or we've given money away, it's gone. We've got no more to give. And I think that might be true when we look at it from a worldly economical, economic sort of perspective. But the economy of the kingdom is very different. The cycle of grace that we enter into when we give freely to God draws us into a cycle of giving and receiving in God that knows no end. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and you know that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. As we give the grace of God away in our lives in different ways so we find ourselves sometimes quite unwittingly as recipients of grace too. We empty ourselves we open up a space within ourselves through which through our giving which God in the splendour of his generosity seeks once more to fill. We are by no means impoverished by our giving to God but we actually can find ourselves blessed as we seek to bless others. In our acts of generosity, in all their different forms, we participate in a very tangible way in the work of God in the world. The God who sows and the God who reaps. But it all comes down, at the end of the day, to our decision. It's God's provision. Everything we have is God's provision. But what happens next is our decision. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Christian giving does not impoverish the Christian soul. It is instead an essential way of us identifying, as it were, with the triune life of God. A life where grace and love flow endlessly from father to son, from son to father, through the action of the Spirit. 
It's an endless exchange of agape love for the well-being of the other. It's an endless exchange which we are invited to take part in, but it is our, our, for us to choose whether we will. Matthew 25, Jesus, in one of his parables, speaks of this in this way. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of, world, of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, but you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, Lord, where, where did we see you hungry? Where do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Where, where do we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes or clothe you? Where do we see you? And yet he replies to them, he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you have done for the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me, for me. It seems amazing that somehow through our generosity we are invited in to be part of this divine exchange, as it were, this triune exchange in God. God including us in all of our human frailty to be part of his never-ending cycle of grace, of giving and receiving. And this amazing provision of God is, to a certain extent, made dependent on our personal choices. Our decision whether or not we will join in with this divine dance, this endless movement of grace in God. Maybe we're foolish. Maybe we think that we've received this wonderful gift of Jesus and that can, that's good enough. That can just stop with us. Go no further. Do, are we foolish enough to think we can stop the flow of grace in God? Are we weak enough to think that it's only meant for us? It is God who provides that we who are left with the decision as to whether to give away the gift that, we have been so, that has been so freely given to us. To allow the grace that we've received to come through us and go out of us in our actions and our lives to another soul in order that it might bring glory to God. Paul, in our reading, then continues with these words. He says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Gospel giving, Christian giving, is a witness to the gospel. It's a demonstration of what we've received and therefore what we know we have to give away. Gospel giving becomes a reason for others to give thanks to God. Gospel giving is an act of obedience. We are Jesus' followers. Something we choose to do freely with grateful hearts. Gospel giving is an opportunity to participate in the endless life of God's love, the movement of God's love and grace in human flesh. 
a movement which ultimately should bring the glory back to God himself. Let us never forget we are blessed to be a blessing. Behind all the sowing and reaping should be a believer's heart which simply desires to just give thanks, to give thanks to God for his indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Redeemer, and our God. So in this season of harvest, it just seemed a good time to me to reflect on how we personally give, how we sow, how we, what we, we think we might be reaping, but also reflecting on that as a church as well. It's not just an individual matter. You know, obviously, this church gives as a, a body as well, so that's also part. But obviously, it's sowing and reaping in the fields of the world. When Jesus was first sending out the twelve, that first time he sent them out to go and do some sowing, he said these words to them. He said, as you go, preach the message. The message is, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Might we know that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are recipients of Jesus Christ by his spirit, an indescribable gift. And might we go and do likewise. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.